Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher, and I'm here talking to my dad, Robert Robb, who is a former editorial columnist at the Arizona Republic. He announced this week his retirement from the paper after 23 years, almost exactly 23 years. (laughs) He is now a full-time golfer. Is that right? (laughs) I'm, I'm getting more golf in in the midst of each individual round, unfortunately. <laughs> Full-time golfer drawing benefits from the federal government, uh, but he will be <laughs> he will be writing uh, some columns uh, still on Substack. Uh, you can go to robertrob.substack.com to uh, subscribe, um, and if you subscribe, you'll get. Uh, emails uh, for new columns in your in your inbox, and also also going to put a link to the to the Substack and uh, the notes of this podcast episode. The first Substack post um, uh, was today. We're recording on uh, Wednesday, July sixth, um, about the school voucher law that just passed in Arizona and a uh, possible political fight ahead. Um, and I also want to, at the end of this podcast uh, episode, talk about um, an interview that Governor Ducey just gave today on, on KTR. Um, not yet, maybe not endorsing Karen Taylor Robeson, but we'll talk about that at the end. First, let's talk about this voucher law that, that just passed. Um, first, let's talk about some of the details of the actual law. So they, one of the columns that you wrote one of your last columns at the Republic talked about um, how you were uh, encouraged by some of the accountability measures that were within the the, <laughs> the bill, but they took it out, right? So that they so did. what happened? So what happened there um, uh, with 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 the change? And, and what is what is? So talk about the the change that was made, and, and what does the final product look like? Right now, um, vouchers to attend private school are limited to students who fall within certain categories, disabled students, students attending schools that are uh, rated uh, DRF, and and a few other categories. Um, The heart of the bill is to expand eligibility uh, for vouchers to all students, to create a universal voucher program, which I uh, strongly favor for a variety of reasons. Um, But I've always thought that it was reasonable uh, that if taxpayers are going to put up a large hunk of the money for a student to attend private school, uh, that the taxpayers had an interest in the quality of education that was thereby being purchased. And uh, the minimum accountability Uh, which was in the bill as introduced, would be to require voucher students uh, to take the same uh, state assessment test uh, that public school uh, students do. Uh, The bill would allow, would have provided that they took that test, but also permitted other standardized tests to be taken. Uh, and for results to be reported, not for individual students, but for the totality of the voucher students that were attending a particular school. I think that's the minimum that taxpayers should be able to expect from a voucher program. Uh, 
but a lot of private schools, particularly religious ones, don't want any state involvement whatsoever. Just give us the money uh, and leave us alone because they fear the proverbial uh, camel's nose under the tent, uh, fearing that if there's any degree of government say over what they do, that that will ultimately, over time, uh, increase the government involvement in uh, what they teach and how they run their schools. Uh, I don't think they can have their cake and eat it too. They can't say we want the money, but we're not going to provide any information to taxpayers about the quality of education that's being provided. And uh, I think that if, if we have another referendum and an election on the subject, uh, vouchers were overwhelmingly defeated in 2018. Um, I think it's going to be hard to persuade voters to change their mind uh, if there are zero accountability uh, measures in it. Now, probably if there is a referendum, the election wouldn't be uh, until 2024. So there would be time for the legislature uh, to add a reasonable testing component for it. Uh, but I think the lack of it is a giant vulnerability that will make yeah. what was it already an uphill political fight uh, that much more difficult. Well, it seems like the Republicans are also trying to have their cake and eat it too by saying, I mean, every 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 point that gets made um, by, about public schools is all about accountability. You know, the, the no on Prop 28 campaign, you know, they, their big argument, one of their big arguments was – Hey, it's too much spending with no accountability. Um, meaning that the that the money going to schools was not tied to academic performance, um, as measured by um, the state standardized tests. Um, and there's also other accountability measures that that Republicans have have passed, such as the civics test, such as these new laws about the specific topics you have to teach about communism and and 9/11 and the Holocaust. Um, and so now. I, I don't understand how they argue um, simultaneously that these accountability measures are so important, necessary for public schools, but we're just going to let unlimited amount of money go out to anybody that um, w without having those. Whether it's and it's not just private schools; it's you know it's homeschool um, resources, it's curriculum, it's it's micro schools um, and stuff like that, right? So how does how do they defend that? Um, how are they going to de defend yeah, that not, charge? My suspect, it, it, my suspicion is not very well. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was a powerful uh, argument that you made. Um, and, and the hypocrisy is there. It's, it's accountability for thee, but not accountability for me. I mean, they, they, they will hide behind the notion that these are private institutions and often religious institutions uh, but that's precisely the argument that voucher opponents make as to why no money should be going to them. And the other issue that I was thinking about as well is what I didn't know the specifics of the bill is, will any private school student um, now be able to use the vouchers? So, for example, uh, used to I think the way it used to be was you would have to already be at a public school um, and leaving the public school system to get uh, the seven thousand dollar voucher. Um, is that true? What is if let's say there's a private school student already going to a private school right now? Can they just right now 
or when this law goes into effect, can they just apply for the for the money and get it for the existing school they're going to, or does it have to be going from the public school system out of the public school system? Uh, it is a universal voucher. So ultimately, when it's completely phased in, uh, all students, including those already enrolled in private schools, uh, would be uh, eligible to receive public support to underwrite their private school tuition. Uh, there is one substantial difference between this year's proposal and what voters turned down in 2018. Uh, even though there was universal eligibility in the 2018 measure, uh, there was a hard cap of 30,000 um, students that could actually get a voucher. Uh, and there's close to 60,000 uh, private school enrollees already. And so that kind of, because of the Voter Protection Act, uh, created a dilemma for voucher supporters as to whether to even support or fight much for the 2018 version of it. Uh, this one uh, doesn't have any cap. So any student in any circumstances that want to, wants to attend a private school uh, would be eligible uh, to receive a voucher and there would be no cap that would prevent all students um, uh, who want one uh, to receive a voucher. So any, so any, cause I, cause that's what the one thing I was w thinking would prevent uh, the massive, cause one of the arguments that, that is made against this voucher program that's going to, you know, quote unquote, siphon money out of the public school system. And my initial thought is, well, you know, people more or less like their public schools, I can't, I don't see a lot of people leaving and saying, I'm going to take my $7,000 voucher and, and, you know, get a tutor or go to a, a micro school or, um, go to a religious school. But obviously every, every single person that's currently paying tuition at a private school will automatically apply for this voucher, right? I mean, why wouldn't you? There's only one reason and it, uh, relates to another vulnerability I see in the current proposal. In addition to the vouchers, there are tuition tax credits, uh, which are contributions to organizations that also uh, provide assistance um, for students to attend private schools. Uh, under the law currently, you can't both be a beneficiary of a scholarship from the tuition tax credits and uh, receive a voucher. So an awful lot of the students who are currently attending private schools uh, are already receiving scholarships through the tuition tax credits. Uh, and um, there might not be that big of an incentive to, to switch. Uh, but to me, um, this is one of the vulnerabilities because it makes no sense to have both programs. Uh, and the tuition tax credits are, in my judgment, uh, bad tax policy in support of good education policy. But if you're going to have vouchers, you don't need to have the bad tax policy to assist students that want to attend private schools. I personally don't think that there's a big pent-up demand for private schools. I think uh, Arizona's robust system of charter schools, uh, which are completely free, um, has created a situation where 
it's only those that either like a particular private school's curriculum or in in most cases want religious instruction along with academic instruction um, and so I, I don't think there's a large pent-up demand, uh, but I do believe that uh, if we're going to have a common pot to educate children, uh, parents who choose to send their kids to private school or who want religious instruction uh, in conjunction with academic instruction shouldn't be denied a share of the common pot. Um, but I do believe that there's reason to require some degree of modest um, testing to monitor uh, the quality of education that's thereby being purchased. Yeah, and or or you could just get rid of the current um, the current testing that that exists in the public school system. I mean, one of the one of the arguments for what makes accountability when in a pure school choice model is that parents choose, right? Parents choosing which. Um, which model is best, and that is the accountability. Um, is that is that one way that maybe the maybe they could make the argument more consistently? Um, if you're a, if you're a voucher proponent, well, certainly there's been um, a deterioration in the support for high stakes testing, and um, our accountability system has been substantially changed to reduce reliance on the test results is the sole uh, measurement of the quality of schools. Uh, I think a, a vast, and we've had this discussion before, I think a vastly um, stripped down uh, testing uh, regimen uh, that only tested reading comprehension and, and uh, the kind of math skills that you'd expect all high school students to uh, possess um, provides information for parents to use uh, in making those choices. And you're right that in a school choice model, uh, it is parental choice that is the principal method of accountability. But I think that it's reasonable to have that uh, at least somewhat informed, um, but uh, not with the kind of testing regimen that we currently have, something that's vastly stripped down and uh, less comprehensive and less time consuming. Do you, do you have any knowledge of, uh, is there going to be a referendum? Would you say would have to wait till 2024 to get on the ballot? Cause it's too late. Uh, the ballots are already going out for, for this, for this cycle. Um, do you anticipate a, a referendum or do you think that, I guess it's a little, it's kind of unlikely that Democrats would take control over the legislature and the, and the governor's desk, but, how do you anticipate this fight playing out? The same folks that succeeded in mounting the referendum um, to put it on the ballot in 2018 have vowed uh, to uh, do it again with this proposal. And, and I think the, uh, uh, I think it's likely that they will succeed. They've, they've got the organizational skills, they've got the financial resources in order to successfully mount it. And, um, they won big time last time, sixty-five percent to thirty-five yeah, percent, and they that's are a save, that's a save our schools, right? Yeah, save our schools organization. What one thing? I guess one more thing on this. What do you think? One of the things they're they're making an issue of is uh, is like the 
a political, a politically charged school like a Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk School. Do you think that's likely to, I don't know, do you think that's a potent attack? I mean, I guess the counterattack would be, well, you don't know what the heck they're teaching in these in these public schools, so what's the difference? I don't know. It, it, it has historically been the way in which um, voucher proposals have been defeated at the ballot box. Um, the track record is that uh, there is public support for vouchers in concept, uh, but when you've got a specific proposal, it tends to get voted down. And one of the most powerful arguments is that there's uh, usually no... Um, particular qualifications, governmental, uh, governmentally imposed qualifications to be a school that's eligible to receive the vouchers. Right. Uh, and so people, um, the opponents uh, concoct all sorts of um, kinds of schools that might be formed uh, that uh, would be offensive to the public, but which would nevertheless be eligible uh, for um, receiving uh, vouchers for their their students. Right. Uh, there have been some voucher uh, uh, supporters at the theoretical level, academics, who have suggested that there be some kind of credentialing uh, in addition to testing for the students, some kind of credentialing uh, for the schools that would be eligible to receive vouchers. But that's strongly opposed by uh, the private schools that don't want to have to be credentialed uh, right. by uh, the government, so it, it is a powerful argument. So we'll see what we'll see how that how that fight uh, plays out here in the next uh, next couple of years. Um, it's probably not not the last we'll hear of vouchers here in Arizona. Uh, but let's change gears and 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 start to conclude here uh, on KTR this morning. Governor Ducey. Um, Talked about a few things. One thing I thought was interesting is is today is the first day that uh, b ballots are going out, um, and polls show that it's pretty close in the governor's race between Karen Taylor Robeson and Carrie Lake. Um, but uh, Ducey did not yet. Maybe he won't ever. I don't know. He did not endorse Karen Taylor uh, Robeson, even though you know Robeson seems to be his na more natural political successor and you know Kerry Lake and Trump are constantly attacking Ducey because uh, he didn't try to overturn the uh, election in 2020 but well, what's the calculation there do you think uh, should he in your opinion I mean why not endorse why not endorse Robeson the reason would be because Robeson may not want it and, and it may not uh, help her her prospects um, uh, <laughs> Doug Ducey has become, has become sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of, of Arizona politics. He, he, he has, uh, what by many standards is a very highly successful, uh, record as a, a two-time governor. Um, uh, but, uh, there's, there's no love for him in a Trumpian, uh, uh Republican party. Um, I, I am uncertain, uh, and I think that this election will help sort it out, uh, the extent to which the Trumpians are the major force in the Republican Party. Um, and, um, but, I, but 
the Robeson campaign has been very careful uh, to uh, cater to Trumpians and not alienate them. Uh, and uh, certainly Ducey uh, has become a lightning rod for uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, I don't think he wants to uh, be turned into a talking point for uh, the late campaign, uh, particularly with Trump uh, coming to town and and uh, uh, shortly uh, in order to endorse his slate and and appear uh, with them. Uh, so um, I, I think Ducey is reluctant to become a political talking point uh, for the late campaign. Uh, and I'm not sure it, it, the way Robeson has conducted her campaign, it seems like she wants to avoid alienating in any way, shape or form uh, the uh, Trump cult voters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll um, and we also want to at some point down the road, um, maybe reevaluate our, our, our Ducey legacy. We did one podcast on Ducey's legacy. Um, but maybe I think, I think, I think it'll be worth another episode after now that the session ended and, and then after these elections, after these elections, uh, play out. So stay tuned, uh, stay tuned there. Let's just, let's just wrap it up here, um, for today. Uh, Go vote. Voting's already under underway. Uh, we talked a little bit last time about independent voters. But I, I gave a date, a deadline date for when you have to request a uh, either Republican or Democrat ballot. I think there's still go to your county recorder's uh, sites. I think there's still time to to request a site if you want to do mail in mail in ballots if you're an independent. Um, but check, check your site, Maricopa County. Uh, they got a, a, a great site. Uh, Stephen Richards got a great, uh, very user-friendly site uh, at Maricopa County. So we'll see how the voting, uh, how the voting goes along, and um, we will um, have some future episodes um, down the road about how the campaigns are going and uh, and the results uh, heading into the general election. Um, so thanks everybody for listening. Uh, once again, you can find uh, Robert Rob Substack, robertrob.substack.com. I'll put a link in the in the show notes. Uh, you can subscribe and listen to the Political Notebook podcast on any uh, podcasting app. Thanks for listening. <laughs>